Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. I'm going to talk about finish. I want you to hold somebody by the hand, take them by the wrist if you're a germaphobe. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And I, I want us to say, Pastor, Pastor preach, the word today. preach the word today. Let the word touch my heart. Let the word affect my heart. Let the word change my heart. Let the word touch my mind. Let it affect my mind. Let it change my mind. I want to leave here today a changed person by the word of the Lord. Wash us with the word today. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Now, just before I start, let me compliment the people that went out to the stadium yesterday and worked. Jamie said, that the help was overwhelming yesterday. So let's give all the volunteers that went out to help yesterday a wonderful, wonderful hand. We appreciate you so very much. Thank you. It's not how we start that's going to make us be a remembered person. It's not how we start, but it's how we finish. Paul, at the start of his life, was a murderer. He was a member of the Sanhedrin and he murdered people because he thought he was doing the right thing. He had to take away this Christianity and hold on to the old Mosaic concept. And so he slaughtered a lot of people and it was on his way to slaughter some more people when the Lord struck him down on the road to Damascus. He was a church destroyer. He was a saint hater. It was not a great start. But his finish was like this. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He also wrote, this one thing I do. This one thing I do. He said, I forget the things that are behind. And because I can forget the things that are behind, I can press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ. Paul chose, folks, to practice what I call selective memory. Selective. He said, I have to forget some things, but I also need to remember some things. So he wrote, and we discussed this all four weeks in the Mind Monster series. He discussed the P48 principle. Finally, brothers and sisters, he said, whatever is true and whatever is noble And whatever is right and whatever is pure and whatever is lovely and whatever is admirable, if there are anything excellent or praiseworthy, think, remember about such things. Remember those things. But Paul said, I forget, but I remember. He thought on things that he needed to remember. See what hell wants to do with your life. He wants you to forget the mercies of God. He wants you to forget the saving touch of deity. He wants you to forget that God's grace is amazing. 
He wants you to forget that the purpose of God that will take you out of this world and give you hope in this world is still available for you today. He wants you to forget that healings have been for your emotion and for your spiritual and for your, uh, for your physical. Paul, Paul talked about hell wants you to forget those things, but hell wants you to remember some stuff. He wants you to remember your failures. He wants you to remember the bitter struggles with family. He wants you to remember the loss of that best job. He wants you to remember the health problems that didn't seem to get answers from the throne. He wants you to remember the rebellious children that walked out on your parenting. He wants you to remember the divorce that happened years ago. He wants you to remember the abuse that makes you feel unloved and unwanted and unforgiven. If hell can do anything, he wants you to make you feel unforgiven because a forgiven soul will sing and a forgiven soul will praise and a soul that's been washed in the blood of the lamb will sing loud songs in late hours and give God praise and glory in their darkest night. When this year 2013 started, we, we talked about some particular things like becoming a better you was one of our first series. And we discussed to become a better you, one must keep pressing forward. One must be positive toward themselves. And one must develop a better relationship with others. And one must form better habits. And one must embrace the place where they are. And one must develop their inner life. And one must stay passionate about life. And we talked about those seven positive things that make us a better person. Remember and then we spoke about favor. We talked about favor being forever, not just for a day, but favor that lasts forever. God's favor is for a lifetime. Amen. And we can grow in favor with God. And we can grow in favor with man. And we can grow, hallelujah, in stature. And we can grow in God's word. We can grow in life. And then we talked about audacious faith. We talked about sun-stopping faith. We talked about a Joshua kind of faith that causes sons to stand still and your life to have meaning because God steps in for you to help you with your situations and give you a little more light on the subject so you can stand in the last days and do what God wants you to do to defeat your enemies. Amen. And the years always seem to start with highs in our life. New Year's resolutions and New Year's hopes and New Year's dreams and New Year's visions and New Year, new, 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 everything's new. But sometimes when we drift past summer and we get into the fall of the year, we begin to realize that hopes of a super year and dreams of the best year ever and visions of that banner time is interrupted by this thing called life because life happens. It really, really does. There is this thing called life, and we must live it. It's what we're made of. Like one man stated years ago, he said, I thought I had it all together, and then life interrupted my all together, and it became broken pieces. However, I do believe that if I can start my new year with hope, I can end and finish the same year with hope. Hope is not seasonal. It is not mystical. It's not illusional. Hope in God is real. Hope in God is real. 
And you can hope anytime. You can hope anywhere. You can hope for anybody. And because God's hope is real. It's not a false hope. It is a right hope. And we can have hope in God. There's something I noticed about the word of God. And stay with me now. I'm building something here. Praise is calmly, the Bible said, for the upright. Everybody say praise is calmly. In other words, it's, it's an honorable thing to praise God. God inhabits praise. Everybody say, he inhabits praise. That's where he lives. Praise is a responsive action observing what someone has accomplished or has done for someone. In other words, when somebody does something, we praise that. When somebody makes a great speech, we praise that. When somebody lifts a heavy load, we praise that. When somebody jumps over a high bar, we praise that. When somebody wins a football game, we praise that. When somebody touches our body, we praise that. When somebody heals our mind, we praise that. When somebody delivers us from sin, we praise that. When somebody brings us out of darkness, we praise that. It's important that we learn how to praise. Why don't you clap your hands right now and thank God because of what he has done. Amen. The Bible said in Psalms 150, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Clap your hands and rejoice in that today. So what do we do? We praise him in the sanctuary, Psalms 150 says. We praise him in the sanctuary. We praise him for his mighty acts. Has he done anything for you? Come on, has he done anything for you? Has God been good to you this year? Come on, has God been good to you this year? Come on, has God done some mighty things for you this year? Praise him for his mighty acts. Has God lifted you up? Has God brought you out? Has God healed your body? Has God healed your mind? You've got to praise him for his mighty acts. And then praise him according to his excellent greatness. Has God been great to you this year? Come on. Has God been great to you this year? Somebody ought to praise him. Hallelujah. Praise is a reaction to an action. God is the action God and praise is our reaction. Thank God for healing me. I've been healed this year. Thank God for your salvation. I've been saved this year. Thank God for your love and care. You've taken care of me this year. Thank you for a good home. Thank you for a nice car. Thank you for a great job. Thank you for a warm family. Thank you for a wonderful sanctuary. Thank you for a great church. Thank you for a great choir. Thank you for a great music program. Thank you for great Sunday school teachers. Thank you for a great youth program. Thank you for wonderful saints. Thank you for a great staff. We thank you. That's what you do when you praise. You give thanks and adoration for what he's done for you. Amen. But worship, on the other hand. Worship is not given to reaction. Worship 
is not given to what somebody does and you applaud their action. Worship is identity driven. Worship requires no action from the identified party. Just a knowledge by the worshiper of that particular party. And just because they are who they are, not what they have been, not what they are to me, but who they are, they receive our worship. Praise, the Bible said, is in the earth. Psalms 48 and 10 says, according to your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. We ought to fill this earth with praise every time we get together. Isaiah 6 and 3, the B version said, the whole earth is full of his glory. Praise is all around this earth. The earth responds to what God has done for us and what God has done to us. The Psalms are full of praise. Psalms 146 to 150, the last five, open with the phrase, praise ye the Lord. And close with the phrase, praise ye the Lord. However, when one gets a glimpse of heaven, we find the word worship used in heaven fairly extensively. For when John is called from this earth in chapter 4 after the church age to that place called heaven, chapter 4 and 5, he's taken there and he gets a foretaste of the hereafter. And he speaks only of worship there. And all of a sudden, the inhabitants of heaven are not moved by what is happening to them, but in whose presence they are engulfed in. In fact, they don't even worry about what they have because they take crowns off of their head. They take their successes ha, off of their head. They take their failures off of their head and they throw them at his feet because it's not what he's done for us. It's who he is. It's who he is that really matters. And I'm here to preach to you right now that you've got to transfer your praise of what he's done to worship of who he is in this life. Oh, let me preach a little bit. Woo. It is not what he has done that matters, but who he is that is meaningful. Worship does not need a gift. It does not need a present. It just needs to identify the giver. Worship does not need healing. It just knows the healer. Worship does not need deliverance. It just knows who the deliverer is. And worship doesn't need salvation every time it comes into the presence of God. It just needs to know who the Savior is. Churches and people that excel in life are those that understand the who and not are hung up on the what's of life. Wise men in the Bible came over a thousand miles and worshiped a baby. They didn't get a miracle. Uh -uh. They didn't get healing. They didn't get delivered. 
They didn't get set free. They worshiped an identifiable situation. And somewhere in your life, you have got to transfer from this praise thing, thinking God is your butler and he owes you more so he'll get more out of you. You've got to transfer into a worship area that says it does not matter what happens to me. Job is a classic example. The Bible said when the Satan came and talked to the Lord, he said, where you been? He said, I've been up and down going to and fro on the earth. And he said, what have you seen? He said, well, I've seen some people there. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? He said, oh yeah, but you, you've taken care of him and he knows that he's not serving you for naught. And God said, well, he said, and you've also got a hedge. And God said, I'll take that hedge away. I won't just so you don't, just so don't kill him. Don't kill him. And so the devil came and he took his children and he took his cattle and he took his sheep and he took his oxen and he took everything that he had. But the Bible said that Job looked up and said, I will worship the Lord. Naked came I into this world and naked will I return. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Somebody has got to finish this race and it's going to be finished by people that understand and identify the giver of life. We must never be caught up in the gifts and the blessings and the benefits and the healings and the deliverances. Those can come and those can go. Life is sometimes blessed and life sometimes produces struggles. Wow. I just stumbled up on a, a sermon here today. Don't come in here looking and saying, well, you know, I'm blessed because I've got this, this, and this. No, 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 no. You're blessed because you have him. Huh. Don't walk in here saying, they're not blessed and I'm blessed and they're not and I am. No, 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 no. Don't you go there. The only reason you're blessed is because you're connected to the blesser. You're connected to the healer. You're connected to the savior. That's what calls you blessed in your life. Come on, clap your hands for that. That's good preaching. That's good philosophy. That's good theology. That's what it's about. Everybody say it rains on the just. Rains on the unjust. Everybody say the tide goes out. The tide comes in. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach two little stories here. I'm going to give you two little stories here. I'm going to preach to that music there. First in Matthew chapter 44, verse 22 through verse 32. Let's go to there. Let's go there and look at it. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray.
And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, the darkest hour of the night, three to six in the morning, the darkest hour of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him, (laughs) Oh, Peter always was speaking out. Lord, if it be you, bid me come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Wow, Lord, save me. He's the only one that can, folks. He's the only one that can, folks. He's the only one that can. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come to the ship, the wind ceased. Can I tell you, the ship is your church. And when you get Jesus in your church, it doesn't matter what kind of storms are around this church. When you get in the house of the Lord, when you get in the ship with Jesus, the storms have a way of abating. The storms have a way of going away. Because the wind ceased when they came into the ship. Now this story has always been preached about things like it's time to get out of the boat. This story has always been preached like Peter had faith that the other 11 didn't have. This story has always been preached like, you know, well, at least Pete tried. He went down, but he tried. He at least gave it the old college try, and the rest of them didn't. Cowards, chickens. But there's another side of this story that I want to preach, and I'm going to help some people here today. If you'll listen for the next five, I'm going to help you right now. Because Jesus showed us something in this and gave us something here, and Matthew recorded it. He really, really did. Here is the bottom line. This was probably Peter's worst failure up till that time. He probably failed as bad then as he ever would except for the denial of Jesus Christ at the temple. Peter messed up. He really did. He goofed. He goofed. You know why? Because he took his gaze off of Jesus and got to glimpsing at the storm. And finally, the gaze to Jesus became a glimpse, and the storm got his gaze. And he got looking at the wrong thing, and he fell, and he caused himself to have failure. Here's what I want to preach to you today. That people in this building this morning started out saying, I'm going to be a better me. I'm going to have favor this year. 
I'm going to do things and I'm going to cause the sun to stand still and I'm going to have audacious faith. But the year is a long year and life is a long life. And sometime when you're doing life, something comes to disrupt life in your life. And some of you have come to church today. Oh, let me preach right now. And you're feeling like you're a failure in life. You're feeling like that you have made the biggest goof that you've ever made in your entire life. And there's no way out. But I'll tell you one way out. The one that was on the water coming to his church to bless the boat also found somebody trying to do something on their own. And when they looked away from what they needed to look at and they started sinking, Jesus picked him up when he said, Lord, save me and took him back to the boat. Here's what I want to tell you. You listen to this pastor. There is a savior that don't matter where you are in life is still in your life and he's not getting out of your life because he's called you out of darkness. He's brought you this far and he's going to keep his hand on you. Now stay with me. So they get back in the boat. Now we know there's leaven in that boat. Plus Pete. Plus Jesus. That's 13. Now you got to get this. You got you to see this picture. Pete is wet. He's sopping wet. He doesn't have a dry spot in his whole body. His clothes are dripping. His head's dripping. His hair's dripping. His beard's dripping. He's just had his greatest failure. He's just had his greatest oops. He's just had his greatest, oh God, what am I doing? He's just messed up. He's just messed up. But when he got in the boat, with Jesus and the 11. The next verse, verse 33, put it up for me right now. Put verse 33, and those that were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Stop. Here's a man that's so wet he can't hardly stand up in that robe he's wearing. He's so wet he can't hardly stand up because he has messed up. But when he got in the church, when he got in the boat, the first thing he did was not praise him for his mighty acts, was not thank him for what he has done, but he began to worship him because he was the son of God in his life. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter what you came out of this week. He's still the son of God. He's still the son of God in your life. And he deserves your worship today. You may be wet. You may be dripping. You may be sin sore. But there's a savior in this house today. That is the son of God. And this is what I love. This is what I love. They worshiped him. They worshiped him. That means the boys that didn't get out in the water. The boys that didn't make the biggest failure in their life. The boys that didn't make the statement of I can and I can't. The boys that didn't sink in the water. They didn't say, Pete, 
would you go take a break? We need to worship the Savior. They lifted their hands. And they worshiped with the man that needed healing. They worshiped with the disciple that needed recovering. Because that's what true worship is. It's not judging somebody because they have wet garments. It's not judging somebody because they have a drug habit. It's not judging somebody because they have an alcoholic problem. It's not judging somebody because they've gone through the meal in their life. It's standing there saying, I will bless the Lord at all times with them. They can worship wet in this church. They can come with alcohol problems. They can come with drug demons. They can come with situations. But blessed be the name of the Lord in their life. Just, I just don't understand how we as a church, please forgive me, I'm very Pentecostal today. I'll be more Baptist next week and more Methodist the week after that, but I'm trying to get something across to you. This is not a condemning house. This is a saving house. This is not a judgment corner. This is a forgiveness house because the only thing that made them worship was the fact that they were in the presence of the Son of God. Then I want to tell you one more story. I want to tell you one more story. It's found in Luke chapter 15 and it's about a prodigal. We preach about the prodigal, but I'm going to preach the backside of him today. I'm going to preach the backside of that prodigal today. Because when he had spent all of his money and all that restless and rambunctious living, he, he got broken. He went and joined himself to the citizens of the country. And he hired himself out to work for people that didn't see pigs as poison. And they put him in a pig pen to let him slop hogs. And they put him in a pig pen to let him help with people. And fatten up the hogs for the feast. And in that pig pen where a Jewish boy would never want to ever be. In that pig pen, he came to himself. And he said, watch this now. I'm going home to the father. He never said anything about the house. I'm going back to relationship. I'm going back to the Father. I'm going to go back to my Father. And I'm going to tell him I'm no worthy, no longer worthy to be called a son. Make me as one of your hired servants. For hired servants have it better than I have it. Are you with me up there, balcony? I'm almost finished. Are you with me today? Are you with me today? And on his way back home to the father, not the house, the father, his dad saw him and came running because that's what fathers always do. My Cassidy had a little Caroline in my office today. Lord, I love when she feeds that girl in my office. She had her in my office, and 
I looked at that little old thing, and I know she's just seven weeks old. But I looked at her, and I said within myself, there's nothing you will ever do that will cause me to ever stop loving you. Because she is my child. And I said, Cass, you and Brad have done so well. You've done so well, and I'm proud of you. But if that little girl or that little son of theirs or those two, or those two grandsons of Damon and Misty's ever would have an issue, there's one thing I know they could do. They could run to a grandpa. I'm about to cry right now just thinking about that. Because I would love those kids. You know what? You'd love your kids. You'd love your grandkids the same way. Some of you grandparents are raising your grandkids because you love them so much. You want to see them have good homes and good lives. And so you're doing a great job. And I give you applaud for that today. I applaud you for that today. But here's what I want to tell you. When the prodigal was forgiven by the father, watch this now. You got to get this. The father's job was over. He said, you get the fatty calf. Who's you? He said, put a ring on his finger. He said, put a robe on his back. Put shoes on his feet. For my son who was lost is now found. Can I say that the father is the forgiver? And the relationship has to be with the father. But the church, the house, has got to step up with fatted calves. The house has got to step up with rings of authority and robes of regalness and shoes of sonship. It's the house where the prodigal is going to feel either comfortable or uncomfortable. And somewhere in this house, somewhere in this church, there's got to be a forgiving heart, a forgiving spirit. That it might be me one day. It could be my brother next day. It could be my sister. It could be your kids. It could be my children. But we have to have a spirit that says, I'm not going to just praise him when things are good. I'm going to worship when things are not good. I'm going to magnify him when I see prodigals coming home. I'm going to let the wet ones dance in the ship with me. I'm going to let the glory of the Lord fill this house. Because never forget, and I've got to remind you again, this is not a judgment hall. It's a hospital. It's a place where people come to be healed by the power of God Almighty. Clap your hands all over the house. You need to worship the Son of God today. You need to worship the Son of God today. time is it I gotta quit I've been here long enough to ask what time it is y'all can tell me hallelujah she came she came to a a healing crusade in China years ago 
a missionary got behind the wall and took the gospel. That's back in the days when they used to go through the checkpoints and Brother Andrew would pray this prayer. He'd say, Lord, you made blind eyes to see in your day. Would you make seeing eyes blind right now? And they'd take those Bibles right past those guards. And God, I love that story. And they were having a healing campaign and a salvation campaign. And a little woman heard about it through the grapevine, and she walked over 100 miles to be in that campaign. And when she got there, her feet were kind of messed up, a few blisters on them. Shoes she had wasn't that good. She was prayed for. The Lord touched her mightily. She was saved. She left that place and walked home 100 miles. And when she got home, she was going to tell her relatives and friends all about what happened to her. And she got all the story right except the name. What was the name of the healing power? So she just scratched her head. She thought, she thought. She said, I can't believe this. She started back walking a hundred miles. Came back to that crusade and got there on the last night and said, I'm here for one reason. About four nights ago, she said, I was healed and I was saved by the power of God. I forgot the name that they called over me when I was prayed for. Would you tell me that name again? And they told her the name was Jesus. She went dancing out of that place and went back home. And all the way home, all she could say was Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Sometimes in our praise, we get home and we forget that we've just thanked him for things. But we've never edified his name as the Lord of our life in worship. And the only way we're going to finish this race, the only way we're going to finish is to learn how to transfer our praise for the good things and for the good times, for the healings, the miracles, to transfer that into a worship and identify the giver of all the blessings of life. So I'm here to tell you today, all I've preached about this morning is that we've got to turn it up one more notch. That the sun shines and the moon glows and Sometimes the sun is hidden, sometimes the stars are not shining. Sometimes it's a stormy night and sometimes it's a clear night. But if I can identify the giver of life, if I can worship him no matter what, if I can, pr if I can praise his name, if I can give him glory in the good times and in the bad times, that's what I call finishing. That's what I call finishing. So, that's about it. But I remember, I remember 
the day I caught the understanding of the difference between what he's done for me and who he is. And some of y'all can remember when it happened in your life also. I won't bore you with those details. But I understand that when you get to heaven, it's not going to be what he's done. It's going to be who he is. Amen. Do you mind standing to your feet and giving some worship to the one that saved you today? Worship to the one that's forgiven you today. Worship, come on. Fill this house with worship. Fill this house with worship. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.